Sentire Media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Episode 74, Goodbye Freddy the Second. In the last episode, after looking a bit at Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II's marital and private life, we saw him put down a rebellion in Germany, headed by his first-born son, Henry, and then defeat some of the communes of northern Italy, once again grouped under the Lombard League, with other communes on Frederick's side. The Emperor won out at the Battle of Corte Nuova on the 27th of November, 1237, but obviously, where the northern communes were concerned, it was never over. It must have felt to Frederick like that game at the arcade where you have to smash down the moles that keep popping up with your hammer. You smash one or two down and they stay down for a bit, but meanwhile, another pops up elsewhere and you go and bash that one and the first ones pop up again and so on. The two die-hard moles in question were in particular Brescia and, of course, the ever-defiant Milan. Frederick laid siege to Brescia and things got pretty nasty quickly. Just like his grandfather almost 80 years before at the siege of Crema, he attempted to defend his siege equipment using prisoners as human shields. Once again, it did not work. The Bresciani fired on their own and then executed the German prisoners in front of Frederick upon the walls. In the end, the siege was unsuccessful and he had to give up. Listeners will remember that Frederick was also on incredibly rocky terms with Pope Gregory IX, who had already excommunicated him once. Now, the Pope was quite pleased at the failed siege and also encouraged Genoa and Venice to rebel against imperial authority. It didn't take much convincing with Venice, because you may remember that it had been the son of the Venetian Doge who had commanded the communal troops at Corte Nuova, and had been captured and then executed. Things escalated once again. Gregory excommunicated Frederick in 1239, just to be really sure he got the message. The insults flying back and forth were pretty creative. Frederick accused the Pope of being a liar, a slanderer and greedy. Gregory came up with the following. Frederick has the claws of a bear, the throat of a lion and the body of a panther. He opens his jaws to vomit blasphemy against the name of our Lord. The real reason behind all this was centuries old. The Emperor wanted to unify all of Italy and the Pope to keep it separated. In 1240, Frederick kicked off a series of purges in the south of pro-Gregory clergy. He took a lot of the wealth of the church and imposed taxes. He also took the important monastery of Monte Cassino and transformed it into a secular organisation. Then, last but definitely not least, 
he invaded the Papal States. Now, like anywhere else in Italy, we mustn't imagine the Papal States as a united bloc, all staunchly supporting the Pope. Far from it. Indeed, the vassals of the Lazio area around Rome were quite happy for a change in status quo, and this may have got Frederick thinking that he could even make a bid to march on Rome herself. The situation in the city was no exception, and the Frangipane family were interested in getting the city onto the emperor's side and ousting the pope. However, their gold was not enough to influence the inhabitants against the combined wealth of the pro-Gregory Orsini and Colonna families. The Pope also did his bit by pulling out all the stops in trying to impress the plebs of the city. He organised a huge procession and brought out all the most precious rock star of holiness relics to parade along with. The city was convinced and ready to oppose the Emperor. The Emperor, at this point, very wisely headed back down south. Gregory now went in for the kill. In August of 1240, he came up with the idea of organising a council in Rome for the following year, in which they would get together and, among other things, badmouth Frederick a bit more. So invitations were sent out to the church hierarchy all over Europe. Frederick sent out his own letters warning the members of the church not to go to the council, and said of Rome, Rome is gripped with violence and chaos. The priests are at each other's throats. The churches have become brothels. The air is putrid. The heat unbearable. The water is disgusting and the food disease-ridden. The roads are full of scorpions and other abominable animals. The inhabitants are ragged and smelly, evil and aggressive. Stay away from this city. Talk about a really bad TripAdvisor review. Some churchmen read between the lines and decided to stay away. Others defied the emperor and made their way to Genoa, where the ships of the Republic were to take them to Rome. The convoy made its way along the Tyrrhenian Sea, but on the 3rd of May 1241, near the small island of Meloria, off the coast around the city of Livorno, they were attacked by a combined Sicilian and Pisan fleet. Many ships were sunk, and the prelates headed for Rome were captured and imprisoned by the emperor. Gregory was now missing the delegates for his council. He did not have much time to wonder what to do next, because he died on the 22nd of August of that same year. The new Pope, Celestine IV, was ready to go by the end of October, but perhaps he went a bit further than he intended, and he died 16 days later. From then on, two years would pass before another Pope was elected. So you can imagine the mess in a city that was fractious at the best of times. Frederick did not take advantage of the situation and try and take control of the city. He knew very well that the best thing for him was to have a Pope who, if not actually friendly, he could work with and not get excommunicated. When Sinibaldo Fieschi was elected Pope Innocent IV, 
it seemed that the papacy and the empire might be able to patch things up. It was not to be, and various obstacles made talks break down. One of these was the rebellion of the Guelph city of Viterbo, not far from Rome, which Frederick was not able to subdue, giving courage to all the other anti-imperial forces. Listeners will remember that the Guelphs were the pro-papal faction in Italy, while the Ghibellines were the pro-imperial faction. The year 1245 saw Frederick laying siege to Rome, an innocent having fled to Lyon the year before. While there, the Pope thought to convene a council, the first council of Lyon. It was the council that, up to that point, had the least delegates, but there were some pretty big names. For example, the Latin patriarchs of Constantinople, Antioch and Aquileia near Venice, and then another 140 bishops. The Pope, would you believe it, excommunicated Frederick II once again. Not only that, but the council went so far as to depose the emperor. The empire exploded with rebellion. In putting down the rebellion, Frederick, the illuminated scholar, lover of women and nature, showed his very worst side. Blinding, hanging and drowning abundant. The drownings showed a particular desire for cruelty, with the victims being closed up in leather sacks and thrown into the sea with poisonous snakes inside the sacks. He was so intent and determined on his revenge that he made his heirs swear that they would continue if he were to die before he had finished. However, another blow was yet to come and it was to come from the city of Parma. Now, if you're really super attentive, way more than I would be, you may remember that Parma had been among the allies of Frederick in the battle he had won against the communes at Corte Nuova. Well, in 1247, Parma switched sides and became a Guelph rather than a Ghibelline city. Now, to take Parma as an example for any other city we talk about in the continuous factional fighting, the fact that it switched sides didn't mean that all the inhabitants woke up one morning feeling a bit more Guelphish rather than Ghibellinish and had a vote and switched sides. No, basically, thanks also to the wheelings and dealings of the Pope, who had friends and connections in the city, the Guelph faction managed to take control after actually defeating the Ghibellines in a battle. The fact of the matter was that Parma had fallen to the Guelphs. Frederick was forced to come along and lay siege. This was particularly lucky for the Pope because it seemed that the Emperor might have been on his way to Lyon to go and get him. Frederick was joined in Parma by his illegitimate son Enzo with his troops and some allies from Cremona. Meanwhile, some men from Verona and Piacenza arrived to assist the city of Parma, while the Pope also asked Milan, Piacenza, Mantova and Ferrara to help out. When he arrived, the Emperor, knowing he was in for a long siege, had a fortified wooden town erected and hoped to bring himself good luck by calling it Victoria. 
he felt confident enough to put the imperial treasure there and to even have a mint to create more money. His intention was to create his new city there once he had reduced Parma to rubble. His son Enzo took his troops into the encampment and in the following days was joined by contingents from Pavia, Treviso, Reggio Emilia and Modena and then also Bergamo, Verona, Vicenza and Padova. Obviously, Frederick's southern troops were also there. Now, I've said this before and I say it again, which you can understand because you can hear me saying it, I don't for a moment expect you to remember all of these cities and what side they were on. It's just to keep in mind the complexity of the pieces on the great chessboard of Italy. Now, in Parma, it seemed like something big was in the air again. The siege dragged on with skirmishes of little account with archers and crossbowmen. Days turned into weeks and weeks into months. Frederick grew impatient. Before changing sides, Parma had sent contingents to nearby Reggio and Modena. Frederick now ordered these contingents to be brought to him and started to execute, by decapitation, three or four of them a day to try and break the spirits of the defenders. It did not work. Instead, on the 18th of February 1247, the defenders set in motion a plan to break the siege. They made a full sortie out towards the Po River, to the north, with part of their available troops, to try and attract the forces of Enzo of Sardinia. It worked perfectly, and he gave chase. In the end, even this manoeuvre was quite successful in itself. Indeed, due to well-coordinated cavalry attacks, the Guelphs managed to kill between 1,500 and 2,000 Imperials and take around 3,000 prisoners, as well as some siege engines. The real objective, however, was the now lightly guarded encampment of Victoria. The remaining part of the Guelph army, as well as many citizens of Parma, fell upon the encampment and easily destroyed it, taking the imperial treasure, the Carroccio war cart, and the imperial crown, which was displayed in the Cathedral of Parma as a symbol of Frederick's shame. The man himself, who it seems may have been out hunting the day of the battle, could do nothing but survey the destruction and curse his bad luck. The destruction of Victoria also saw the end of Frederick's dream of a unified and consolidated empire. The Battle of Parma was not the last chapter in the struggle, but the remaining campaigns would not see Frederick in the forefront. He was growing tired and saddened by losses and apparent betrayals. In February of 1249, Frederick tried and condemned his most trusted minister and friend, Pierre de la Vigne, for a plot against him. De la Vigne was blinded and later died in prison, possibly committing suicide. One chronicler mentioned that, upon hearing of de la Vigne's involvement in the plot, Frederick broke down and wept. In May of 1249, Frederick's son Enzo was captured near Bologna. He would stay there in prison until the end of his days in 1272. 
the last remaining son of Frederick II. Frederick II himself died on the 12th of December 1250 in Castel Fiorentino near Foggia in his beloved Puglia. He went out in relative peace, wearing a friar's habit. He was buried in the cathedral in Palermo. Whether he had been the wonder of the world, the Antichrist, or more likely somewhere in between, the time of Frederick II, King of Germany, King of the Kingdom of Italy, King of the Kingdom of Sicily, King of Jerusalem, and Holy Roman Emperor, had passed. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my Patreon supporters. I've updated the list and I hope I have everyone in. Let me know if I've left someone out. So, the Anita and Giuseppe Garibaldi level, Bill, Ed, Eric W, Fabio M, Gary G, Jeff, Joshua, Cara D, Sean and Jimmy. The Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Andrew, Anthony, Selene, Chris, Daniel, Dean, Greg, Ignazio, Jay, Caitlin, Kevin, Marxist-Leninist-Sicilian, Roberta, Rodney, Shelby, Stephen and Vincent, and the tippy-top level Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri level Sen, Paolo and Lisa Kay. Welcome, welcome, welcome to new Patreon supporter Ine J and uh, Nugurg, hopefully. Anyway, write in and let me know how to pronounce that. Thanks also very much to Eric W for moving up from the Anita and Giuseppe Garibaldi to the Margherita Hack and Galileo Galilea level. Thank you very much, Eric. I'll hopefully come up with something new for Patreon, let's say within the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. And thanks very much to everyone for listening. And until next time, arrivederci. of the manifesto that the emperor was writing against you. Ah, let's see what that scoundrel is saying about me. The Pope is a stinky old prune. He's a great big fibber and he's tubby and roly-poly. What, what? Roly-poly? Shall I continue? Ah, yes, I suppose. Go on. His hat looks really dumb and he has smelly breath and gross hairy ears and a silly red nose. I say, red nose? Silly hat? How dare he? He is a old and boring and we should get a new corporal. Well, well, we'll see about that. Take a note. Frederick, 
has the legs of a chicken and the arms of a crocodile and the head of an elephant and the bottom of a mongoose and the silly face of a... Um, um, a baboon, Your Holiness? Yes, yes, that's, that's it. The face of a silly baboon with a big blue bum. And he is hereby totally super excommunicated. You've already ex excommunicated him, sir. So, do you want to join him? No, sir. Sorry, sir. Oh, and one last thing. Yes? He has stupid hair. <gasps> no, sir, you can't mean it. I mean what I say. Stupid hair. This could mean war. So be it. Sentira Media Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.